Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Sarah. And I'm Gabby. And we are two first-year physical therapy students sharing our grad school experiences to help PT students around the world. Embark on this journey with us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. gratitude. So today we have a very special guest with us. We are talking to Yusra today and she is a second year PT student at Duke University and I will let her tell more about her story. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. So you saying that I'm a second year at Duke pretty much sums it up for now since we have finals coming up. That's really the only thing. Um, <laughs> That currently defines me, but yeah, so um, I am from North Carolina. I completed my triangle hat trick, so I went to UNC Chapel Hill for undergrad, North Carolina State for a master's in physiology, and then now I'm at Duke for PT school, and then ironically, first year physiology was my worst class, um, and so that's something that my classmates always get on to me about. I used to be a Zumba instructor and used to run a lot, and so then I got injured doing those things. Um, kind of a classic story of you know, people getting injured and then getting into PT, but I actually never got PT for those injuries. And so over time, they kind of got worse. And then it started to sort of mess with my mental health, which maybe is a bit of a teaser for this episode. But yeah, I think that's kind of where I made the switch from being pre-med to, to pursuing PT. Did you, I don't know if Sarah knows about our story. Okay, so it was in 2016. Dang, that was two years ago. Wow. So we both applied for a five-day like health readiness program through Campbell University, which is in North Carolina, and they paired us up based on interest. So this was for PAs, PT, pharmacy, um, DO, and so they paired us as roommates, and we went through the all these like PT-related slash there were other like health professions there, so we all got to do different projects and we were roommates and we were both going through a lot at that point in our lives so we got so close in five days like it was a little scary how, how close we got yeah, it was so weird yeah, yeah it was awesome and then after that we kept in touch and at the time you were applying to school and I still remember like I will not I don't know I will not forget this but I was coming I was walking back from class I still remember what class I was coming from and I I get a call from Yusra and she was like oh, I just got this email from Duke saying like because you wanted to know when you, you were hearing back yes. and then Nani I think it was like a minute later you got an email saying that you were accepted you're like is this real like <laughs> Because I emailed them, asking, yeah, you know, oh, like when do we, yeah, when do we hear back? And I got an email back saying, oh, you'll hear back within the next week. Yeah, five minutes later, I get an email saying I got in, and my dumb self, I like didn't really read it, so I was like, oh, it's the same email, and I almost hit delete. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Look at it. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So that was crazy, and then just going through all of my stuff. You helped me edit my essay and here we are. Yeah. And now you guys live an hour away from each other. That's so yeah. cool. 
Oh, what yeah. a small PT world. I know. Exactly. We all have to be at CSS. Well, yes. That's what that means. <laughs> Very cool. I didn't know that about you. Very cool, though. I love it. So why is mental health so important to you then as a grad student? You already gave us the teaser here. You got injured. And then what kind of happened from there? Yeah. So, um, well, I think mental health being important is you know, it's something that we all have. So we always say like, oh, like I, I have mental health, but it's like everyone has mental health. Other people may just have mental health issues or mental illnesses. Um, and so we talk a lot about in physical therapy, things being wrong that we can test for, right? So we can go through like our testing funnel and do a bunch of special tests. And there really aren't special tests for depression, for anxiety, for imposter syndrome, um, for even like fatigue. And so that's why to me, this stuff is so important. It's because all that other stuff is just as important, but you can address it. You can kind of see a lot of it. Um, and that's not to, you know, say anything about other invisible illnesses, like people recovering from certain things like stroke or whatever, where they may be farther along in their recovery. And they probably also get a lot of, oh, but you don't even look like you had a stroke or like, oh, you don't even look like you have a disability. And so, and that kind of plays into it too. And so same thing with um, depression, anxiety. I think as a grad student, you know, you take these students who are used to succeeding, be that academically, socially, whatever. And then you put them in an environment where not only now may they fail, but they're being told that it's okay to fail and that they should fail and that's how they learn from failure. And it doesn't really click with how we've been taught. My undergrad and my master's were very competitive and that is totally not the case at Duke. And so it's been a really hard thing for me to get used to not competing with other people. And so for me personally, because it's a pass-fail program, because we're very much encouraged to work as teammates and colleagues, I now have turned my competitiveness kind of inwards and compete with myself, which is not very healthy all the time. And so that's why I think it's important to me is because one mental illness or even, you know, just slight mental health issues aren't something that we always see. And with grad students, a lot of times we are more high achieving. And so it, it is kind of that classic case of, oh, but they're passing their classes. They must be doing fine. Or, oh, but they got out of bed and came to class today, so they can't have depression. They can't have anxiety because they were just laughing with their friends at lunch. So I think that's why I'm so passionate about it is just understanding that everyone goes through something at some point and just sort of being, you know, mindful and open to that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And in grad school especially, like, you can have a mask on and just be, you know, like you said, laughing with your friends and, you know, going to class each day, but people don't see what you're feeling on the inside. And I know personally, I have felt that more in PT school and it's, it's not a great feeling and it's something that I've never experienced before. So just trying to figure out how to kind of handle that has been tough, but also, you know, reflecting on, you know, what I can do if I am having anxiety and the resources to go to. But I know you just touched on imposter syndrome. So if you can elaborate more on what that is exactly and how can someone kind of identify it and hopefully, you know, overcome it. Yeah. So it's kind of in the name, but I was 
I would venture to guess that it probably differs for everyone. And so imposter syndrome essentially is just this feeling of, you know, imposterism, feeling of I don't belong and I kind of like snuck into this success. My accolades are a fluke or I'm going to be found out soon. So there's that sense of impending, like, I'm doing fine for now, but someone's going to figure it out. And a lot of times it's racial minorities who feel that. It's a lot of times women who feel that because of just the way that we've been kind of conditioned to understand, you know, like power differentials between like gender or race or whatever. And so um, a lot of times if you do happen to be for example, like in the minority, like I am very visibly a racial minority and I'm one of very few in our class. And so even though the culture is set up to support you, you yourself start to get in your own head and you think, oh, maybe I'm just here because I'm the token, you know, Muslim. I'm the one person that wears a headscarf. So maybe I'm just here to make my program look good, but I'm not actually smart enough to be here. And so, and that doesn't necessarily come from anywhere. It doesn't, certainly doesn't come from my classmates or my professors, but it's just one of those things that somehow everyone that I have talked to deals with it and yet no one really talks about it. And so I become so like selfish and turn inward and think, oh, well, like I have imposter syndrome and I'm struggling, but it's like everyone kind of has it. And I think, so I'm going to jump around a little bit, but you were talking about, or you asked about how to overcome it. I have no idea because it's something that I deal with on a daily basis, kind of 24 seven. Um, but I have found that it has been easier to talk to people about it and to be open because you'd be surprised at who would feel those things. So some of the most successful kind of accomplished driven people are the ones who are the most, will downplay why, you know, so every good grade they get, it's, oh, well, I'm just a good test taker. Oh, I just happened to study this before the exam. No, you're smart and you're working hard and you deserve it. Um, but it's really hard to tell those things to ourselves. So talking to other people about it, identifying that, you know, you're not alone, I think has been a big help for me, especially from our professors and our staff members. Whenever you see someone who is accomplished, who has their PhD or who's teaching you in class and they seem so calm and collected, when they tell you that they still feel imposter syndrome, when they still wonder if they belong and if they're as good as everybody around them, you hurt for your professors. But at the same time, it kind of makes you feel like, okay, like, this is almost, I don't want to say normal because it shouldn't be, but it is common. And so I think that the more you talk about it and put it out there, the more you kind of understand that, or at least I've been able to understand that, okay, it's okay not to be perfect. Like it's okay to let go of that. And I can still be a good PT regardless. And maybe I'm not the only one that's feeling this way. So maybe if I talk to people about it, then it always helps to know that you're kind of in it together and that you're not going through something alone. I'm trying to think what your other question was. Um, so in terms of identifying it, so that's also tough because I had a conversation with one of my favorite clinicians at a fall conference for NCPTA, and um, I said something about like a good grade or something, and I downplayed it. And he said, oh, do you have imposter syndrome? And I started laughing. And I said, you know, on the one hand, I'm like the walking definition of imposter syndrome. On the other hand, I genuinely believe that I'm dumb and that like I don't you know deserve any of my accomplishments so I personally don't think I have imposter syndrome I think I really just deserve to feel this way and he started laughing and I've had other professors be like you sure I just can't win with you but it is that constant cycle of like okay maybe I have imposter syndrome and maybe I'm supposed to blog about it or talk about it and then you think 
maybe it's not imposter syndrome. Maybe I just actually don't belong here. And maybe I actually am not smart enough, if that makes sense. So I think that if we're talking grad students, if you got into grad school, you deserve to be there. Like there's a lot that goes into admissions processes and being an admissions ambassador now, I've been able to see a little bit of the behind the scenes. And there's a lot of people who like look at your application. There's a lot of essays that you wrote, a lot of work that you've done. And so I think that already, like regardless of what even happens in PT school or whatever grad program people are in, like you already belong there and you already have worked your butt off clearly to get there. And so it's hard because there's like so much motivation I want to give. And then I'm like, but am I a hypocrite? Because I like, it's so hard to take that advice yourself, you know? And so maybe that's something that would help. Maybe that's something I need to work on. Listening to your own advice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Same. (laughs) And I think you hit on two huge things that people in the previous interviews we had and Obviously, these haven't come out yet by the time people listen to yours, but we interviewed Dr. Jeff Taylor, and he was talking about, you know, like finding comfort, or not comfort, but being okay with failure in PT school. And we're all like type A's and don't want to fail and feel like we shouldn't fail. And if we fail, that means we're a failure. That's not the case. And I think that's really hard for us to accept and like be okay with. Yeah. For sure. And I found, honestly, that um, the more I allow myself to fail, the easier it gets and the more comfortable I get. So first year, I was obsessed with getting straight A's. And um, whenever we would do skills in lab, our professor would show a skill, explain it and say, all right, go practice. And I was never the first person to get up. I would always turn to my teammates and say, hey, do you guys mind practicing first and me watching? Just because I was so terrified of doing it wrong that I wanted to see it done a bunch of times before I even tried. And then if a professor or a TA walked by, I would stop doing the skill because I was just so fearful of them thinking that I was stupid. Now being in MSK and more um, advanced sort of patient management classes, I constantly turn to my teammates and like, is it okay if I practice first? Like, can I, can I just get this out of the way? Like, and then I'll practice, they'll practice. And then every poor TA that walks by, I stop them and I say, Hey, can you watch me do this? And can you give me detailed feedback? And so um, it was funny because I ask a lot of questions now, whereas I did not first year. And one of my friends the other day said, hey, so you know your professors don't have an extra 30 minutes just for you, right? And I thought that was really funny because it's just, it's honestly, I'm proud of myself for now at least being on the other end of things where I'm constantly looking for that feedback. I'm so okay with doing things wrong because now I feel like I'm truly learning. And that's the only way to learn. And then that's the other thing Greg Todd touched on in the interview we had with him was like people who are most successful are motivated from their past pain or their past failures and all of that stuff. And honestly, just hearing you talk for like 20 minutes, like you're going to be super successful. And I just feel that. Thank you. Thank you. Oh yeah, for sure. No, that's, that's all so, so valid, but I think, I think you're right. Going back to, uh, you know, stopping your professors and the graduate assistants, especially if you're in, if you're in PT school, because we, you know, we do a lot of hands-on things and, you know, just jump at the opportunity. If you're going to do something wrong, do it wrong then, because when you actually get to treating patients, you're not going to make that mistake. For sure. For sure. 
And that's something that I, um, a friend of mine and I started Mental Wellness Club at Duke. Um, and so that was sort of our intention with that as well is, you know, we learn all these skills and we practice them all the time. I think we should be doing the same thing with identifying, you know, yellow flags, those mental health um, potential issues in our patients. And, you know, just to bring it kind of full circle, um, that this is the time to say the wrong things and um, to mess up because it's only going to make us better clinicians in the clinic. I don't want to wait until my long-term rotations to learn how to speak with a patient, right? To learn how not to say the wrong thing. And so, yeah, so I feel, I feel very grateful for just all the people who have taught me those lessons of like, it's okay to fail. And I think a large part of it comes from the professors who aren't afraid to admit their own failures. So we have some professors who've told us, you know, the same story several times, but it's, it's nice because I feel like now it like really has hit home for me. And we have a professor who says like the first couple of years of my practice were terrible. Like, and he openly admits that he was not, you know, maybe the best in his field. Um, but now he is one of the best. And that's just been really cool to see and to hear about and to know that I'm not expected to be a perfect clinician as a second year and that I've got a long way to go, but that's exciting, right? Like, you get to let go of all the fear of it and then just kind of have fun and figure out, I don't know, it helps me to focus less on myself and my grades and more so on, okay, who are my patients? Who are they going to be? And just focus on them because at the end of the day, that's who really matters. Absolutely. I, I love that. And have you already had your clinical rotation? So like what has been your experience so far? Yeah. So um, we have what's called steps. And so it's a one or two week clinical experience at the end of every semester and you do it with a team. So I haven't had my long-term clinical experiences yet. Those are all in the third year. I know some PT programs do them differently, but every clinical experience I have, had, let me think. Yeah. They've all been in the team, which has been great. It's just another way to get even a more, you know, like additional feedback. And it's been good. So we have five steps total. And so we've had uh, three already. We're on our fourth steps now this week. And so our very first steps, I did nothing. We were in outpatient ortho and I did not want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to touch a patient because it was just that fear of like, I don't know the CI and, you know, doubting skills that I had been doing since before PT school. So I learned how to take blood pressure manually a while back. And even doubting my ability to do that. And I don't think I ever did it. <laughs> we were supposed to. Um, and so it's kind of nice to even look back at your own progress. And now, you know, I stop my CI every two minutes and say, well, but why? Why did you do that? And like, can I do that instead? And so, yeah, it's been cool. It's been cool to see sort of my own growth and my own team's growth and how willing we are now to jump in if needed, but also kind of step back and let our teammates participate as well. So. Yeah, Duke does a really great job of just helping us to understand that, you know, straight A's doesn't necessarily make the best clinician and that it is about the patients and it is about that encounter and that therapeutic alliance and just addressing that mental wellness and whole body wellness for the person. And I feel like that really has begun to carry over into those clinical experiences. So I'm really excited to see how that carries over when I'm by myself for my rotations. I'm nervous, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be good. Oh yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm so excited for you to start your clinicals, but it's good that you're starting early too. This is this being your fourth step. Like you've had these experiences and each one keeps building on each other. And so by the time, you know, you get this time next year, you'll be on your long-term rotation. So that's that's so exciting. That's wild to me. I can't believe that. 
it is exciting. It's very exciting, but it's also so terrifying. Super excited. And I'm excited to see like how you or hear how you've already incorporated mental health, maybe not mental health screenings, but like addressing it in a clinic. Cause that's hard. It is. And whenever I talk about it, I think sometimes it comes off as like I'm blaming people for not doing enough, but it's not so much that as they're just isn't enough time sometimes. Yeah. Trying to figure out, you know, within those patient encounters, how do you, how do you give the patient the time that they need? And our professor, uh, our MSK professor is really great about explaining to us that like a lot of the information that you need about a patient, even to make that physical diagnosis comes in the interview. And just to give us that better understanding of like, let the patient talk, you know, and um, there's all these statistics about, I can't, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble. I don't remember how many seconds it is, but it's like 10 seconds in, let's say healthcare providers have been found to interrupt patients. And like, that's no time at all. Like what can you even tell a healthcare provider in that time? And so, yeah, so that, that's been really cool. And then, um, being able to work with faculty to start this mental wellness club has been huge for us, I think. Um, so we have a lot of really cool clinicians lined up to come in and talk about their work. Um, and then we also have got to, gotten to do um, like a lunchtime yoga. One of our classmates is a yoga instructor. So um, we're bringing her back next semester. So um, also getting to address sort of our own mental health and wellness. Um, I don't think I touched on that as much. But yeah, so, so that's been really nice just to kind of at least make it more, I don't know, normal and habit even if it's not necessarily something that we do with each patient or that we even have to do. Some patients, you know, don't need or want um, maybe like a very in-depth level of all that. Yeah, it's been, it's been really nice to have those conversations. I think it's opened a lot of really cool um, relationships with my partner. Yeah, that's so cool. So tell us, how did you even start this thing at your school? Yeah, so it was really easy, um, which is why Duke is awesome. So uh, we have a bunch of clubs and student interest groups, so SIGs currently, and functionally clubs and SIGs are the same thing. And so we had a persistent pain club, and you could make the argument that, you know, with patients um, who have persistent pain or chronic pain, they may also deal with a lot of mental health issues, but I wanted something that was kind of standalone. Um, I wasn't sure necessarily if I was interested in uh, patients, that patient population necessarily. Um, I am now, but at the time I was like, I don't know, like I feel like this should be its own field. And so um, I spoke to a professor about it and she was on board. And I think like within 48 hours I had approval um, from the program director to start it. And so one of my good friends wanted to lead it with me and it's kind of a cool, bittersweet thing, you know, so I personally have dealt with a lot of depression and anxiety in my life. I'm very open about the fact that I have an eating disorder and that I'm in recovery. And so, you know, that part straight up sucks, like not to filter it, but like, it's not fun. But at the same time, I know that I never would have come to PT had it not been for those struggles. Um, I maybe still would have been on my pre-med path. Nothing wrong with that, but I honestly didn't put in the work because I think I knew deep down that's not the route I wanted to go. And then you know, just coming here, I think that it's allowed me to see sort of a different side of patients um, and to maybe seek that out from people. And so, yeah, on the one hand, you know, it's not that much fun maybe having depression, anxiety as a grad student. But on the other hand, I think it's a huge blessing. Um, and I honestly wouldn't change anything, uh, which I think might surprise people um, because I don't know, I think, I hope that it'll allow me um, sort of that connection with my patients 
that I personally may not have had otherwise. I don't remember the question, but, oh, the club, the club. <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, we had, uh, yeah, we've had some really cool events, and so you guys should come. We have one next month. Are where are you again? <laughs> what state is, I, I'm totally oh, blanking, North where North is Duke? Yeah, okay. So Duke is actually one hour from High Point. What? And so I will have to make a trip. Yes, we have <laughs> we have met up to study before and we need to probably definitely next semester, but yes, we are only an hour drive from each other. You guys. <laughs> spring break, man. Maybe spring break. Yes, for sure. So since we were talking about um, the club and everything, what other, I guess, resources have you found most useful for you, whether it be like, you know, talking to a counselor or even just talking to a professor, um, reaching out to other people? What have you found that kind of works best for you? Yeah, all of the above. Mm -hmm. Um, Counseling is a tough one just because as second years, our schedule does tend to be more eight to five. Um, but the nice thing about Duke is that they recognize that. And so for the medical students, for the PT students, for any other grad students who are um, basically eight to five, Monday to Friday, they have a day or two, I believe, where they're open a couple of hours later until I think 7 p.m. And so that is really cool. I personally um, haven't had to take advantage of that yet. But just in case there's any Duke students listening, I can't remember what day it is, but I'm sure that you can make a quick call to the counseling center and find out. Um, so that's really nice that a couple of counselors stay to, to accommodate those students who are in class and who are working hard. Um, so yeah, so counseling's been, been huge. I've been in counseling for a while now, and it's, it's a really nice way to speak to someone who's completely unbiased and to yeah, just sort of process your feelings out loud without any sort of fear of, am I going to be judged or anything like that? For me personally, the biggest thing has been talking to professors. Sometimes professors can be sort of this, I don't know, like a, almost like abstract, sort of scary, intimidating um, people. But I am someone who gets bored very easily. And so I'll like sit down to study and I'm like, ah, I can't do this like five minutes in. So I'll get up and wander and I walk around the hallways and anytime a professor has their door open, I'll like stop in and talk to them. And that honestly has been um, just the coolest thing ever. There was one time I was actually on my way to talk to a different professor. I happened to stop by and say hi to my MSK professor. And then he invited me in and then we had this awesome talk about mental health and um, was not something I was anticipating. I thought we were gonna end up talking something ortho. And so that was really cool. And so yeah, so talking to professors has been huge. I already touched on the fact that them kind of admitting to their own failures is pretty cool um, and really nice to learn from, but also just knowing that they are there, they've been through this process and they, they made it out. And to know that they're proud of you and they're supporting you and they're excited for you is um, a really cool feeling. And so, that's been nice. And yeah, talking to friends and classmates has been great as well. Duke's program is very team-based. And so that generates a really cool um, opportunity just to have those sort of instant friends and an instant support system. And some of the most supportive people I've ever met are on some of the teams that I'm on. And the nice thing about that, as opposed to counseling, is that these people know exactly what you're going through because they're currently going through it. Um, They understand the way the program is set up. They understand that 
what it means to have a shoulder practical tomorrow, you know, versus having to kind of explain it to a counselor. But I think both are great. I think that people should utilize every single resource they possibly can, if possible. I also realize that, you know, it's a privilege to have these things. So not everyone's going to have access, especially maybe like new grads. That can be hard too, because as students, it is, I think, easier to access some of those things through the university. And then other than that, kind of outside of that, I personally um, have been going on a lot of walks lately. I was telling Gabby that I'm in PT for my ankle and I've been prescribed to walk for an hour a day, which was infuriating at first because I just wanted to look at the PTs and be like, you've been here before. You didn't have an hour a day. Um, But just to be able to find that time and get outside and get away from everything has been awesome. And then you guys know that I have a blog. And so writing about things, even if I don't always publish the posts, um, is a nice stress reliever for me. So yeah, so I think that there are resources out there. I think it's also about kind of finding what works for you. Some people hate counseling. Some people swear by it. So I would just encourage anyone who's listening not to give up if you haven't found your thing yet. Even if you're a third year getting close to the end and close to graduation, keep fighting and keep, you know, advocating for yourself. It's incredibly important and it's worth it. And it's worth the struggle. Love it. Good to hear it. <laughs> and also, side note, as soon as you said, what did you say? You were like, you guys are having a great operation here. And then I come in, I was like, imposter syndrome. <laughs> Just want to point that out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. And that's something we all have. I have that like hardcore because I was the last person called off the wait list. Literally the last person waitlisted for a second year in a row. So I (laughs) don't feel like I should be here at all because I legit wasn't going to be here if the single person in front of me didn't drop. I think a lot of people are in that same position. Yeah, that's totally understandable. And it's so hard. And that's why I was saying, you know, imposter syndrome is different for everybody because it can manifest in so many different ways. It can be sourced from so many different things. For you, it's the wait list, you know, and it's hard too because it's one of those things where if you focus on it, it gets worse. So mm-hmm. any, not to bring it back to me, but like for me personally, like if I get one bad grade out of 10, then I will hyper-focus on that grade. And I'm like, I knew it. Like I told everyone I wasn't meant to be here. I failed that quiz and I was right. And they should kick me out right now. Completely ignoring any other sort of success, success that I've had. And so that's, that's an issue too. And I think that's why I just really appreciate the people that I have around me because they're very good about sort of stepping outside of their own lives and being like, I'm so proud of you. And like, look, that's awesome. And so something that's been really helpful for me, and I wonder if, if you guys have tried anything like this, let me know. Or um, if you're interested, I have a mason jar. I'm actually going to show you. I know this is a podcast, but I can see you. So I want <laughs> Yes, that would be great. I would see you. Okay. So I have this mason jar on my desk. And every day I come home and I write one good thing that happened that day. And then I put it in here. And so on days where I'm particularly stressed, if it's finals week or something like that, um, I can just open this up and read it. And so it sounds very straightforward. There are some days or weeks where it's really hard. And I'll sit there and I'm like, nothing good happened today. I have nothing to write. Um, But it really forces you to kind of reflect on those things and focus on those things. And I don't know. Yeah. Shift your focus away from the bad and the I don't deserve to be here and here's why and it's more so here are the good things that happen and I'm gonna keep taking advantage of them as they keep coming it is tough though it is tough and I'm sorry that you're dealing with that 
Oh, there are so many people who are like, and it's unfortunate, you know, it, like we said, on the one hand, that maybe helps, but no one should feel that way. You know, I wish no one was dealing with it. Yeah, I think the first semester is <laughs> the hardest. I don't know. I can't say because this is the only experience I've had so far is the first, you know, 11 weeks. So for me, I think that it gets better from here, hopefully. That's <laughs> it gets better. PT school is so much fun. It's very natural, I think, to meet people for the first time and kind of size each other up and you know, you hear about where people went to school and what they've done and their experiences. And it gets easier, I think, to start to celebrate people and be proud of them and um, just take advantage of them and learn from them versus being like, well, I'm not that great. Or like, I didn't get to do that because I did a lot of that too for a semester um, and really isolated myself so that I wouldn't compare myself. But as you get to know people more, you start to really understand the backstory and I don't know, I think it just generates a lot of empathy and understanding. And so you start to get really excited for other people and then without losing, you know, any sense of self-worth that you have and any excitement for your own success. It gets better, I promise. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, please do. Okay. Where can we find you on social media? I know you said you have a blog and what is your blog called? Yes, it's called The DPT Diaries, um, so you can find it online at thedptdiaries.com. Um, I also have a Twitter account called at the DPT Diaries. I don't really update it, so you can follow my full name on Twitter, and then I'm on Instagram at the DPT Diaries, and that I do update, um, and the purpose of that and the blog initially was actually to kind of cope with my own mental health struggles. I'm not a journaler. I know journals work for a lot of people, but it tended to just, I don't know, my hand would cramp up and then I'd get more frustrated. And so I figured a blog would be something that would allow me to be kind of creative. Um, and so I could focus on the design and the pictures versus my feelings. And so it really helped me to cope. And then it sort of turned into a what I wish I would have known um, as a pre-PT and as a first-year student. And so now I kind of update it in that way to give a bit more of an insight and a window into my life as a PT student and a PT student who is um, fairly open about her mental health struggles because I don't want, you know, anyone to feel like that's something that they have to hide. That's awesome. That is so great. I'm excited to look at your different blog posts. I liked at some of them because I'm like such a big student PT stalker. I'm just going to say that right now. I'm like all oh, the information I can get and just like yeah. stake up. <laughs> I do it too. We have a first year. Um, you guys probably know her name. Deja. Deja. Yeah. yeah I need to meet her. Oh, she's amazing. So she's at the Curly Clinician um, on Instagram. And so we met Instagram and then she got into Duke and now we live in the same apartment complex um we're at the same step site with the same CI so it's been really cool and she even just wrote a blog post about her steps experience because the first years go before us and I was like reading through it like trying to figure out what to expect and um so I'm even learning from our first years so yeah I love that I think I think that's a great way to, to engage with other people in the profession and social media has been so huge too for you know, they call it like the hashtag PT fam, but yeah, I'm just getting to know other people and it, it's kind of an, an instant conversation starter. Mm -hmm. Nice. Definitely. Oh yeah. Do you have any questions for us? I always feel like flipping it around at the end. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we should probably include that. <laughs> oh, 
Oh man, now I feel so unprepared. You know how you're supposed to go into interviews with questions for the interview? (laughs) (laughs) Like, have y'all dealt with imposter syndrome? I know Sarah, you said you have somewhat and Mm -hmm. yeah, how are y'all coping with stress? Like what, what role, I guess, has mental health and wellness played for you all? Oh man, do you want to go first, Gabby? (laughs) Sure. So for me, I, I dealt, I started dealing with a lot of like anxiety, um, and just being really overwhelmed my first semester. And I actually had a, a personal like event happen where it was kind of a family emergency. And then from that point I was kind of thrown off for the rest of the semester. And so I, I had trouble like, you know, trying to prepare for exams and the best way to do that while also still having like this family stuff going on. And then towards the end of the semester, we had our first like practical ever. Well, no, it was our second like real practical of um, school and I didn't do well. And so I had to retake it. And so that kind of was like a huge sign of like, am I meant to be here? And I, I felt all these feelings of like imposter syndrome and was wondering, like, my, do I belong here? Like, am I meant to be in PG school? And so I learned from that experience and I overcame that. And um, now I would say I, I've always kind of doubted myself on, you know, telling myself like, oh, like, you know, there's people better than you, like, you can't do this. And I've really been, you know, like struggling with that over the past, like, few months. But most recently, I've just been reaching out to my mentors and people and they've been like encouraging me and saying, do not have those thoughts, like meditate, see yourself, you know, taking your exam and doing well. And actually that has worked for me. And I am kind of at a point right now where I'm, you know, having confidence in myself, putting in the work and know that I'm going to come out on the other side and succeed. And so that's kind of been my my recent struggles so far, and I used to really keep that in. This is really the first time I've been, op- I've openly talked about it, and yeah, I mean, we have to do better with that. I feel like as grad students, we like to keep everything in, and we already talked about it in the beginning, but it's so important just to talk about it and know that you are not alone when it comes to these types of feelings or imposter syndrome. Yeah, and in a way, too, those like keeping it in is almost rewarded sometimes right like it's almost seen as a good thing like being super busy is a good thing it means you're working hard enough and so I was talking to friends about this last night that whenever we take breaks or we find a balance um, between working out and cooking and social life and school we feel really guilty because if we're not losing sleep over our exams and if we're not putting absolutely every fiber of our being into our work are we really doing enough the answer is yes, but just sort of the way, you know, society's kind of set up is I've been reading a lot of articles about like fatigue and how that's like a badge of honor. And so I think it's really important to start breaking that down and figuring out how do we talk about these things openly and how do we normalize that? Yeah. And people glorify sleep deprivation. That is like my pet peeve. <laughs> I cannot, like you are not better than the person next to you because you you know, had an all-nighter studying for this exam, you're still not going to do as well as the person who slept. <laughs> like, oh, yes. It's hard. It's really hard. 
it's rough. But yeah, that was a great story, Gabby. I I didn't really have a whole lot in grad school yet. I don't want to jinx it. Everything happened before grad school for me. So like, like this might be a little TMI for some people, but women have birth control pills. Okay. Like a ton of women are on birth control pills and you know, the crazy side effects, <sighs> like side effects of those can be really rough. I don't know if you guys have experienced that, yes. but I had switched at one point because I didn't, you know, the side effects of one of them made me really worried. And I was like, I don't want to be taking this. So I switched to another one. My gynecologist warned me. She was like, you know, a side effect of this is anxiety and depression. You just have to tell me if you're having any symptoms. And I was like, oh, I'll be fine. I've never had any of that before. Three months later, I have an anxiety attack in the middle of the woods and I was hiking at night. Oh, no. And like, it was real bad. So, so bad. And I didn't know how to handle it. And I didn't even attribute it to that. I just thought I was stressed. Mm-hmm. I just thought it's me, you know, mm-hmm. something that I did and something that I could have handled differently. So I didn't even change anything for a while. I kept taking it, kept taking it. And some life things happened. And I lost both, well, all of my grandparents and you know, two uncles and like a lot of family all in one year. And I just spiraled down like (laughs) real fast. And I think people realizing it's not always just your mentality. You have to think about your prescription and your life circumstances and take care of yourself and like know how to take care of yourself and see the red flags. Cause I didn't acknowledge any of them at all. I just kept like doing my thing trying to handle stress, internalizing it, saying, I'm okay. And it wasn't until somebody had said something to me, they were like, you know, people ask, are you okay? And then you just start bawling. (laughs) And that happened. And I was like, you know what? I don't think this is normal. (laughs) Like I should probably change again. So I just went cold turkey and like got off of it and immediately felt better. It was amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I think, but still you have, you know, life circumstances and you still have those things that happen that I probably still would have had some depression after that. Like who wouldn't, Mm -hmm. but knowing how to handle it is totally different. And I think people need to be open about it in order to feel okay to talk about their own experiences. And I've never even said this like out loud to anybody except like close friends. I think it's important for people to hear like mm-hmm. yeah and imposter syndrome is a huge one too <laughs> always feeling you know we're type a students people who get into grad school are type a people oh yeah and being okay with failure is the hardest thing and pushing your boundaries because i almost didn't message gabby or like any spts on instagram and if i didn't we wouldn't have this podcast right now and i think that's so crazy yeah i think i think that's really important for you to recognize right like that you like did that and you went outside of your comfort zone and you you pushed past sort of that that fear of like should I be doing this do I belong here whatever yeah and this podcast is awesome (laughs) 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 thank you that was a good question I didn't expect to talk about myself at all I know we didn't either (laughs) no but I think I should be prepared I think when people listen to this, they'll really appreciate it because I know when I listen to podcasts and they go into like 
serious stuff talking about, um, you know, just anything, but it's like, you really connect. And I think a lot of people are going to really connect with what we've all said. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Cause even as people who are going to be mental health professionals, I don't know that, you know, even I personally do a great job of fighting that stigma. Like I also hesitate to tell people that I'm going to counseling sometimes, especially my professors have been going through this period of this weird, like fear of thinking or worrying that my professors are going to think that I'm weak or that I can't handle the profession. And so I've been really holding back about telling them about the fact that I haven't been able to go to counseling or whatever. And so, yeah, I think it's just, it's important to, to recognize those things and to keep pushing past them. You know, what's also nuts is that some people will take antidepressants. And so I've taken them before. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But the fact that the side effects are suicidal ideations and depression and like anxiety, what? That always gets me because <sighs> that too is something that I talked to a professor about. They were like, oh, like, do you, would you be open to that? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. If I could find a time to deal with the side effects, you know, so it doesn't stop just because, I don't know, you have life things going on. And so that's tough too. And that I don't have a solution for yet. I don't know, maybe people listening have found a way to, to deal with it or work around it and they can offer us some advice. Yeah, because prescriptions, man, those, those side effects are hard. They really are. And life goes on outside of PT school unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why I can't remember if I said this, but that was something I was explaining to one of my professors is that, um, again, the fact that a lot of times mental health issues can be kind of invisible. And as high achieving students, as grad students, you don't have time to be anxious. You don't have time to have panic attacks. You don't have time to cry. And so for me, I mean, it's something I've literally had to pencil into my schedule before. Um, just a time to take to be stressed because you know I absolutely think that people should process their emotions however you know they really need to but I personally you know if I'm sitting in class and I need to learn something it's a really big internal struggle of do I leave class do I allow myself to cry over whatever is going on or do I stick it out and I take notes and pretend like everything's fine so it is hard it's nice to kind of be in a grad program I think just because you do have a lot of people around you who want to be supportive but at the same time, I think it's just important to recognize that no grade is worth giving up your mental wellness and sacrificing that um, because that stuff does catch up to you. And so learning to sort of let go of that so that you can help yourself. It's a hard thing to do, though. I could say that all day, but I'm not very good at it. <laughs> but I'm still learning. Yeah, we're all working, <laughs> all working at it. What has been the biggest help for you? Or what, like, you said blogging helps you relieve a lot of anxiety and stress, but is there anything else you think has helped you the most? Honestly, wandering around to my professor's offices is huge because even if we don't talk about anything that I'm stressed about, even if we only talk for a few seconds, like, just those little moments of things being different, right? So, like, I've lately been able to stop by professors offices like people I don't really talk to um, or people who don't teach us that much and so I think finding like continually changing things up can really help um, get you out of a rut because having the same routine I mean I literally like the same thing for breakfast every day and then you go to the same classes and it's it's a lot and you start to 
fatigue out. And so I have a professor who, without giving away who she is, but she uh, had her door open and I stopped by to say hi. I wasn't there to see her. I was uh, on my way to, I think, to study. And she invited me in her office and we sat and talked for a little bit. And in my mind, I was like, what are we going to talk about? This is about to be awkward. Like, why did I come in? And we ended up talking for like 30 minutes about how we're obsessed with like murder mystery podcasts and like horror movies and like how much we love gore and no one would ever know it. And that was just so nice because it sounds nuts, but like just that new encounter, like I'm someone who likes to really meet new people. And so something to really change it up and help me to get sort of outside of my own head and focus on something new and something as unrelated to PT school as horror movies is nice. So those conversations don't always happen. And so that can be hard too. kind of wandering and looking for those. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I think that's been huge for me. I think my professors have been huge because just them being willing to take the time to talk, I think is something that I really appreciate because I am continually telling myself like, oh, I don't deserve to be here. Like they don't even want to talk to me. And so I made a joke to my professor that they're going to put in an alarm um, on the door (laughs) whenever I come through and like these can start shutting their doors. Um, And he just laughed and he didn't say, oh no, that's not true. So that made me a little nervous. But um, so, but yeah, no, but it's been helpful. And I think also has helped me is to do things that make me nervous but that I know will help me so whether that's talking to people and being too afraid to reach out like sometimes I'll type up a text and won't send it for hours and then I will just have to force myself to hit send same thing with counseling and so same thing with asking someone I don't know that well to get coffee with me or to go to yoga with me or whatever that's helped me a lot too because I realized that the things that I overthink and the things that I feel like oh like people are never gonna want to do this with me people are really focused on themselves and no one's hyper analyzing my life and the words that I say or whatever the way that I do and that's a good thing and so just reminding myself of that has helped as well but I swear by this mason jar (laughs) this helps so much that's a great idea I think that's a amazing idea man I need to start implementing these things now because just doing that too would would be amazing maybe I'll turn it into a blog post of like self-care things because I feel like we talk about self-care all the time and I actually am not against the whole like face mask bath time thing like um I know those people catch a lot of flack and they're like oh but that's not self-care but like if that's what helps then it it is for you right like for some people self-care is facetiming with their family for some um sometimes it is studying and catching up so that you're not stressed the next week and so I don't know you should do whatever you want Mm -hmm. that was my rant about face masks (laughs) (laughs) thanks for having me on of course thanks for being on and thanks for listening to gratitude the grad school guide for student physical therapists if you like our show and want to know more check out our instagram and facebook page linked in the description